Yo, what is up, guys? Welcome back to Tag Team, the Pokemon Trading Card Games Premier Podcasting Trio. My name is Riley Holbert, joined as always by my good, good friends, Mr. JW Crewall and Mr. Andrew Mahone. Guys, how's it hanging? Hey, pretty good. I'm in high spirits. You are. What's going on, man? Oh, just, I just, I have good feelings. This, we got a tournament this weekend. <laughs> we got, you know, my wife and I um, are expecting our second child. Oh, you waited for the, for the cast, bro. <laughs> That's nuts. Just, well, congratulations. So, thank you so much. So Holy yeah, little smokes. baby, little baby Cletus is uh, i'm so excited for little baby cletus yeah wow. is inside is inside mama right now so she she's like feeling really bad if you guys followed any of the saga from her first pregnancy is she was like throwing up a lot and just like feeling bad and it's like also pretty bad so i'm having to pick up a lot okay. of slack around the house but well yeah. congratulations that yeah, is certainly so very much. exciting yeah, well, anytime you guys want, like, if you want to, I'll be happy to rent out Harper if you feel like you want a baby in the yeah, house for a week. Yeah, yeah. Either, either of you. It's like all the joy of having a child with none of, like, the, you know. Yeah, like aunt and uncle baggage. status. Uh-huh. Like an aunt and uncle. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, cool, for sure. Would love to, <laughs> love, love to take Harper out <laughs> on the town for a, for a night out. There you out. go. Yeah, there uh-huh. you go. That's right. <laughs> I'm doing well. Um, I'm chilling. Just uh, was thankful to get a Gym Leader Challenge video out uh, today. I am also putting together decks from Raging Surf and starting to compile my ideas for, is it Paradox Rift, right? I feel like you're Uh, going insane with the videos, dude. Like There was one day that I saw within maybe 36 hours or four new videos. Yeah. Yeah, I have this philosophy of releasing content where I just release it when it's done. Whatever time of day it is, whatever, just like get it out. It's just it's, it's better optimal. to be out there than to be right on a schedule. It's, it's optimal viewing time for somebody in the world, you know? Is somebody in the world is going to wake up and be like, "Oh, yes, this is perfect timing for me." And if I release it at the same time, then it's never going to be the perfect timing for that one person. But if I just am doing it sporadically, then and I just, uh, that's just how I work. I don't really care for a schedule. Makes but yeah, sense. there was a couple of very, uh, <laughs> prolific <laughs> yes. creating periods. Yes. Um, but now things are going to ease down. Cause I wanted to like, I wanted to jam out some ideas for 151 while I had them. And I was just like, all right, right. like I like this deck. This is clicking. Let's like jam, 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 get these out. And then now I'm going to focus on the tabletop content for paradox rift so things are gonna you know things are gonna ease up a little bit and it's weird for paradox rift because of the way the set's coming out it's also very exciting but the pre-release for paradox rift happens the week before the set comes out in japan so i don't have to order japanese booster boxes for this set because i'll (laughs) get the english cards first which is but then also is that gonna be a thing going forward Oh, TPCI okay. like canceled our pre-releases, you know, this quarter. So yes, like, so you're gonna have so to go I'm... to somebody else's pre-releases. So full grips got canceled. I'm gonna figure it out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> better start Which making friends. A, a bundle of fun. It's just a <laughs> lot of fun. Yeah, we're figuring all that out as we go. So yeah, yeah. So that's that's what I got on my table right now. 
I, I guess this same exact thing happened with Obsidian Flames, where the Japanese release and our pre-releases were pretty much lined up. I think the release weekend and the pre-release weekend were actually the same weekend. Mm -hmm. But for Paradox Rift, our pre-releases are actually happening before the set comes out in Japan. So this is exciting in that it is going to be a TPCI first debut for these <laughs> cards. Just how I'm going to get my hands on them, I, I don't know yet. <laughs> kind of kind of a bad, you know, thing to have happen for this kind of first time, right? It should be very exciting to be able to get the hand, your hands on the English cards without having to buy Japanese product to get the cards. Yeah. Like I'm I'm sure you're very excited from a content <laughs> creation perspective. And then just to have it go so horribly, horribly wrong. Yeah. It's probably really stressful. Yeah, super fun. Yeah. Yes. Are you ready for the uh the Iron Hands apocalypse? I think that Iron Hands is not that good. No. I think it's you're fun. you're wrong, dude. Iron Hands is insane for sure. Oh, you've Iron tested Hands? it? You've tested it? You've tested it? Yeah, in my head. <laughs> so, dude. <laughs> I, I, I've shot a box so many games with Iron Hands. It's nuts. Yeah. Four energy on that thing. You don't even need all basic energies. You're going to you have double turbos, turbos bro. Why not? Ride on deck. Sure. You have the time sure, against the Lost Box deck. That was the wimpiest sure I ever heard. Yeah. I mean, you have time against the Lost Box deck, right? And it's like if you're taking, you can go 2 2 2 into them, right? Like that would be the matchup that you'd want it for and Guardy. So you have time to load up one four energy, dude. Sure. I do. Th I yeah, you could totally like going. It makes going first, I think, more appealing in the Don, right? Because now you like get that down, put one or two energy on it. And then the next turn, getting those three is not going to be that, that difficult, right? I think it's going to be a lot of using your four seal stone to maybe go get a double turbo energy or and stuff like that to like make it work. But I'm just thinking to myself, like, OK, if you're going second, you're not going for a turn one Iron Hands. That is not happening unless you are running the most extreme amount of flames possible, right? Which happens. Uh, somebody out there is going to turn one Iron Hands, and Jake Gearhart's going to hear about it, okay? <laughs> <laughs> let's, all, let's all sign Dang. a pact. Let's all sign a pact to never, like, if we hear of someone doing this, never let him our know. Little, our little secret. So then my thought is, like, all right, so maybe... If you're not getting the turn one Iron Hands, you got to turn one attack with somebody else. And then you're transitioning into a quick Iron Hand somewhere, but like it needs four energy. I don't know. I just feel like I feel like it's going to be a fine card, but I feel like the Iron Hands apocalypse is blown way out of proportion. I feel like it's just going to be good. I, I kind of agree, but <laughs> it's still funny. Oh, yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah, it's going to finally make Maride on a good deck. So true. So true. <laughs> <laughs> So, I guess, let's not get too caught up in the Rift, though, right? Let's not get too deep into the Rift, because we have Peoria this coming weekend, right? And Peoria is going to be played in the 151 format. I will not be going, but Andrew and JW both will be there. And today, we're going to largely be laying out what the landscape will be looking like going into Peoria, what you can expect to see as you play your rounds in the in the Peoria Regional Championship. So, overall, like, how are you guys feeling as we prep for Peoria? A little underprepared. 
a little, a little underprepared. underprepared. Yeah. Um, well, you got a lot going on, JW. Well, uh, many are saying this. Yes, I do. But I, I just, yeah, I, I have a good enough idea, but there are some decks that I wish I had a little bit more time with and uh, some just kind of like, I wish I had a little bit more time with certain matchups in particular. Um, so I'm thinking like, I just a little bit more time into Charizard against the meta because I've been playing it on the ladder, but not enough like testing against individual people um, or, or, you know, individual matchups that I expect to see. Like I know generally how to play these matchups uh, and certainly that helps, but like there's like, I would like to know, you know, Charizard into Maridon. Charizard into uh, Guardi was another one that I like needed some more individual on and then another deck that we've kind of been thinking about that i um just could use like i i like it i've been playing it a lot recently but again more so on the ladder than like dedicated testing but that's been colorless lugia and i feel ultimately if i go into uh peoria with that deck i'd be learning a little bit on the fly um <laughs> with, with some of with some of the matchups yeah i did a big testing session this past weekend, had some buddies over. It was a lot of fun. Uh, played a lot of Charizard. Played a lot of Lost Box. Played a lot of Maridon. Played a lot of Colorless Lugia. Those were the kind of the the four decks that we were really tossing around a lot. I think Guard of War is a deck that I just always feel like I have in my back pocket. I feel like it. It's just a deck that you know. I did all my testing for Guard of War, kind of leading into NAIC, and then. Also leading into Worlds because it's the deck <laughs> I played at NAIC and it is also the deck that was number two pick for me for Worlds. So like I could always just, you know, pivot to Guardian. Guardian is a deck that I consider to be the best deck in the format. It just has a lot of baggage that goes with it. You know, being a slower deck where you are going to have to try and figure out how you're going to win the 15 minute best of three. And I don't really want to, you know, necessarily be walking or towing that line at a regional championship. But I think that, you know, we've got a pretty clear idea of what the top crop of decks look like. Just taking a look at Justin Basil's meta update for this week, Charizard EX is at the number one spot, Gardevoir EX number two, Giratina V-Star Lost Box 3, followed closely by Lost Box uh, at number 4. Lugia V-Star Colorless 5, Maridon 6, Lugia Single Strike 7, and Intellion V-Max with Urshfu V-Max number 8. And I really, really truly believe that this is a format where you just kind of pick your favorite deck, pick the deck you like the best, and pilot it, you know, to the best of your ability, and that's going to lead you to have the most success. Yeah, I think that's kind of eternally true to some extent in the Pokemon trading card game. I I guess I am a little skeptical of of those rankings. I th- is that does that specifically differentiate between Obsidian Flames and 151 or is that like just post Obsidian, do you know? It's standard format from uh yeah, September eighteenth to October second. So halfway so those two week period that two week period there. Okay. The reason I ask is I saw an interesting tweet by by Joe from Omnipoke the other day, or maybe mm-hmm. it was even like today, where he gave like CP rankings basically to decks mm-hmm. 
by awarding them championship points based on their placements within tournaments. And Colors Lugia was like dominantly number one in that ranking, mm. which I thought was really interesting. Um, Maridon still hanging on in like that top five, but it was really Lugia Charizard show was was kind of the centralization of the CP there. Uh, so that's the reason I ask. But you know, getting I back think, to your point, Jay, or, go ahead. I think this is like a metagame breakdown of maybe. I don't, maybe it's percentage played. I'm not sure. I'd have to really dig into it. But like, it sounds like Joe is doing a, you know, uh, basically like a performance based, yeah, yeah, results based, right? Where it's like you're actually getting a look at like the turnover, like you know how well is the deck performing. And I think where I would go with this is I think Lugia is really on the rise right now as sort of the anti meta deck so to speak it it does really well into sort of the biggest decks in the field being the lost box being the charizard decks Gardevoir. and even like gardevoir yeah because you're trading like super favorably with with an early lugia into the snorlaxes so it's an interesting development and lugia has historically been very popular in the states even more so than other regions so to me it almost feels like the meta is centralizing more around colorless lugia than even charizard <laughs> uh which all which also of course like loops back to our love of Rhydon, and and Rhydon is really the one deck that has a super favorable matchup into colorless lugia so it's just an interesting shift of gear you know when we were talking last week i feel like charizard was really heavily the star of the show and it feels like lugia is kind of rising up as as maybe the co-star or even the the primary figure. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah, I mean, if you look at Lugia, Archaeops, the colorless Lugia, you have a couple top placements in top eight at the uh, large 3,000-person Japanese tournament. So, okay, some validity there. And then you have these online tournaments where adding a little bit more validity, you have a couple first, second place all in the last two weeks or so since... Again, like you were saying, Riley, it's been picking up steam. Since it's been picking up steam, it's placed very well in these online tournaments. So, um, you know, uh, an archetype that that is really strong. I know, Andrew, you played a number of games with it on stream the other day. And, yeah, kind of break down how that went. And it was, this was, like, your first time playing this deck extensively. So maybe walk us through, like, just, you know, high-level, like, matchups or concerns you'd have with the deck. I think my first... You know, the first kind of thing that just bludgeoned me about the deck is just how insanely flippant and random it is. You're just like, <laughs> you know, some games you're just like, oh, well, I guess I'm doing nothing. I have a random Pokemon in the active. I didn't even find a Lugia V. There's no Archeops in the discard pile. You know, I flipped the wrong flip on uh, on capturing Aroma. I flipped Tails on my Mesagoza this game's a wash, right? And then you have games. But the th the thing is that's just so crazy about the deck is that it just requires so little, though. Like, right. it, once you get those, once you pull off the trick and you get the Archeops into the discard pile and then the Lugia and then the Summoning Star, then boom. Then you don't have to play any supporters. You could go the whole rest of the game, no supporters, and win. That's how broken the deck is, right? Your hand could be garbage for the whole remainder of the game, You've got gift energies can draw you some cards. You can one-hit KO things. You can collapse your liabilities away and limit your board to just like a single prize situation. And it really allows you to play off the board and just kind of send up the right guy at the right time and keep track of your energy and make sure you're 
playing the resource game right, and you're smooth sailing versus a lot of things. I felt like the Colorless Lugia deck is just really strong against Charizard decks. Being able to just throw single prizers at them until they're at one prize remaining and then go in with <laughs> UEX is, like, hilarious. And then uh, being able to trade, you know, two hit KOs with your Snorlax into guys being able to Luxray their Pidgeot. There's just so many different little things you could do in the Charizard matchup that feel great. Into Lost Box, you also feel great if you just kind of stabilize and set up. You get a couple Snorlaxes right. going. You can attack with Archeops. You don't even care. You're just like, whatever, dude. I'm just like, I got... All your guys are huge. Archeops got 150 hit points. Snorlax got 150 hit points. And they only give up one prize card. Lost Box does not have the tech to deal with that, right? They just don't. <laughs> right. uh, it's a nightmare. So those all felt really solid. But I was absolutely getting farmed by Maridon on the ladder with Colorless Lugia. I mean, that was just like every time I rolled up. And I would try to play some games out, too. I wasn't just instant conceding. I'd be like, all right, well, like, let's actually get into this. And it was just pure pain just every single time. Just pain. There was one turn. I got turn one bossed. My only Lugia got bossed up. I had like I pr- I protected against rope, and they went turn one double generator boss my guy, and and I was I I rage conceded yeah yeah and and that's gonna happen right and and obviously weakness is playing a huge part in uh-huh. that right and it's just okay you have the counter deck right you have the rock to your scissors but I think when you look at the matchups across the board and why we're seeing colorless lugia kind of rise up the ranks it has extremely strong matchups. So I'm looking at the uh, Trainer Hill meta-analysis, and this is just compiling results from tournaments and putting them in a nice little grid sheet. If you guys haven't seen this, go check it out. But you look across the board for Lugia, if not overwhelmingly favorable, you know, positive matchups across the board, uh, except for Maridon, which you, again, would expect. But I think what you're seeing with Lugia Archaeops is that it's a fantastic one prize deck. It's probably the best one prize deck that we have. You can play a lot of different things. You can play the new Mew, uh, take advantage of your opponent's attacks. You can play Weird Ear. You have a big one-shot potential at the end of the game. You could even play something like Radiant Charizard with a Luminous Energy. Um, and there's just a lot of different ways that you can go about building the deck and playing the deck, not to mention that you can load up three Snorlax through the course of the game. And after that first Lugia goes down, like you're just hitting with these high HP one prizers that at the worst are two shotting opponents Pokemon. So I, I think there's a lot of things to like about it. I am not surprised, would not be surprised to see people pick up Lugia um, in droves for this weekend. Cause while it is that coin flip deck, things can go right just as much as they can go wrong and you can hit a hot streak. And we've said for the longest time that if Lugia gets those two Archeops in the discard pile, turn one executes its strategy. It's really hard to beat. And here's the thing, right? Like multiple Lugias just got top eight at Pittsburgh. And I would argue the meta position was worse in yes, Pittsburgh. It's much better now. I yeah, I agree. And I also think like the colorless Lugia is just a generally better deck than the single strike variant. You know, that it has a lot less of those multi-prize attackers weighing you down. And instead you can really lean into that one prize strategy, which is so good in the current format. So yeah, I totally agree. I would expect people to even to pick Lugia up very heavily. It's it's a deck that's popular in the States. It's a deck that has seen success recently at a regional, and it's seeing a ton of success online. And if you just do the cursory level of research on the meta, then Lugia jumps out at you, right? If you're doing that Trainer Hill breakdown, 
Lukia is like staring you in the face to be like, play me, please. Yeah, it's, yeah basically why you better have a good reason not to play Lugia. And I would also argue the one bad matchup that Lugia has on paper, uh, at least amongst kind of the popular decks, is Maridon. And Maridon is a deck that people like loathe. They hate to respect it. You know, you're looking at, at players like Grant Manley who are saying they wouldn't touch Maridon with a 100-foot pole. You have all sorts of folks saying they do not care about Maridon. They don't respect it. They don't think it's a, a deck worth considering. And so that adds like another layer, right? Where people are self-affirming in their decision because the one bad matchup is something they don't care about. True. Something, something else that I have been kind of liking as I've been playing around with um, the Colorless Lugia deck to try and mitigate some of its consistency issues. Just playing a really uh, a buffed up Burnett count. I, I even heard about a list playing four Burnett. Um, Yo. <laughs> but, but I think two Burnett is just really nice. You just see it more often and yeah. can rely on that. And I feel like a Probably list... twice as much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just imagine four Burnett though. I've been, <laughs> I haven't actually tried four Burnett yet. But imagine a list that like barely played any draw supporters, and you just are using Burnett, Burnett and Boss. That's it. No. <laughs> it's just Burnett and Boss because that's realistically that's it. all you need to do. I mean, just who cares about the draw supporters? You <laughs> Your draw third eye has been opened, right? That's what I was like. You <laughs> You're just draw the truth, energy, bro. <laughs> I was feeling it, like, uh, I was feeling like. Uh, Gosh, like it'd be like the uh, uh, who won Nats in like why I, I I literally just talked to him the Kling Klang guy who won Nats yeah um um uh, uh, John Roberts third John Roberts yeah yeah John Roberts I feel like like that's a very John Roberts like philosophy of deck building and that you could play like maybe two two Iono and then like no the two Iono would definitely be part of it too <laughs> yeah the two two Iono and then like four Burnett four Boss and that that's it. <laughs> Isn't that how he played like Bulu? Like four it was how he played Bulu. Yeah. <laughs> four Skyla, four Guzma. And That's what I'm saying. Ed, he's he's on Ed. another he's on another deck building level. And what I'm saying is I'm just trying to get there too. Yeah, he gets it. Yeah. That's, that's so thinking true. outside the box, bro. You guys just got to think outside the box. I think okay. the the beef with four Burnett is it's useless after the first one, whereas like Skyla does something. <laughs> that would be the argument, I think. Yeah, like oh, so get, now thinning your, your deck is Pokemon useless. <laughs> well, really, there's only a couple Pokemon that you want to thin. The rest of them are kind of good. <laughs> you burn out your burnets, bro. Come on, <laughs> you can't. You can only get Pokemon. No, burnets, you can just burn anything. No, burnets anything. Oh, okay, yeah, dude. Why, yeah, why no, was it's sick, Pokemon? bro. It's was sick. there like an item that discarded Pokemon or something? Nah, you're tripping. Yeah, I'm just tripping. I guess you're misremembering. Yeah, Yeah, because well, because you only play the one, so there's only gonna be Pokemon that you discard generally, like when you're playing. Yeah, for some reason I had it like deep in my head that you can only get Pokemon, but that's that's better at least. Yeah, okay. Thinning is winning. Thinning is winning. Yeah, and then you draw the you draw with the gift energy. (laughs) (laughs) Three Burnett's off your gift. That's pretty sick. So, but yeah, I, th- I think that's the question, right? And I think that's the question that, that we should be trying to answer like over this cast is why wouldn't you play Colorless Lugia? Or what is the case rather for playing a different deck? Um, so I think that's sort of the framing with which the rest of the meta is going to be positioned based on our current understanding of it, right? So let's work our way down that list. So Charizard, 
Charizard is the deck we were raving about last week with the, the Arvin build, the shift towards more heavy consistency and getting out those Charizards and really streamlining them. I personally feel like Charizard's kind of taken a little bit of an L in the fact that Colorless Lugia is so popular, but it's still everywhere, right? You play a, a game online, feels like 30% of the time you're going to hit a Charizard deck. And granted, that's going to be somewhat of a byproduct of TCG Live handing you a Charizard deck. <laughs> but how do we feel about Charizard? I think it's going to be everywhere. Yeah. Top three deck, I think, pretty easily. Um, you know, maybe maybe not have more than 10 to 13% of the meta share would be my guess, just because there's so many decks out there. But um, going from barely seeing any play in Pittsburgh to obviously what we saw at uh, the Brazilian regionals to, I think, yeah, again, a, a top three deck in Peoria. I think that's very um, realistic to happen. I would expect that um, if you're heading in. And uh, that's what I'm going to be preparing for. Yeah. Yeah, I think Charizard's so hot, so hot right now <laughs> that uh, <laughs> that I, I think people are, are going to look into teching for it. And you might see some grass dudes around which is a funny thing to say because you never see grass attackers around uh but charizard is weak to grass so you might even see some <laughs> grass attackers like pincer or tropius in a lost box deck you know i mean it's just weird though because i don't think that lost box actually needs a grass attacker because if you never play into their damage increase then you can get a lot of mileage out of your dragonite or your raikou um, and then just go on like a Sableye rampage spread fest. Yeah. Um, and clean just up. get your, yeah, get your big hit in once with a Dragonite and then clean up everything because they can't even one shot you in return. So I think there are strategies that when you look on the face, yeah, you're like, oh, okay, if I'm taking all my prizes really quick, then they just out trade me and then they have these big dudes and then they're Ionoing me to low. But I think you maybe want to execute a, a different strategy in the Lost Box matchup against Charizard where you're, maybe not taking prizes, you're kind of sandbagging a little bit so that your Iono, you don't get punished as much with Iono and um, you can make more use out of your V Pokemon. Yeah, it's, that's an interesting take on it. Almost like just rush to 10 with Sableye, pass with Comfies in the active and then start swinging with your, your two prizes. I don't hate that, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. so I, I think that's a strategy and that's kind of why I've been saying like Lost Zone, I still feel like has a strong matchup uh in, into Charizard, I, I, I do feel that way. Um, and so I think that players that have been playing Lost Zone are going to, um, you know, they have now a better matchup in the field if they know how to play the Charizard matchup. They have, you know, again, if we're saying Charizard is a top three deck, joining Lost Box in that top, uh, you know, top three, then I think that Lost Zone players are very happy to see that matchup rise because I think you do have a really strong game plan into it. Yeah, I mean, I now that I'm kind of thinking about the game the way that you described it there, JW, not even rushing to 10, Riley, and, and go and save life first, clean up with Dragonite. You just go rush to 7, go Dragonite. You're just yeah. passing, right? And like, yeah. So you're building up your loss zone. It doesn't matter yeah. if it's to 7 you or could, 10. You're yeah, just not swing, doing... in, swing in with a Dragonite into one Charizard, and then if you play like a boss's orders or something, like you go into swing into another, go into another one. Yeah, and then and take then all your prizes on the last like, turn. Yep. Exactly. And then, you know, so the Dragonite gets uh, 500 <laughs> damage on the board. Uh, I think that's the dream. If the Dragonite can get 500 damage on the board, then you probably can figure out the rest, right? 
And I feel like that is always kind of the game with Lost Box, right? Is how can you get as much damage onto the board as possible? Um, you know, oftentimes, like Greninja, for example, is one of your highest damage attackers because it puts 180 on the board. You know, that's really key into the Mew matchup, right? To get that clean 180 onto the board. So multiple swings at Dragonite usually isn't something you can guarantee, but against Charizard, their output is super limited. I guess the counterplay on the Charizard perspective would be to like fully power up a Radzard quickly and start swinging. Yeah, I'm right. And there would be like a counter strategy to that, but I, I think it's yeah. more, you're more well positioned as a lost box player because you could just go aggressive Greninja and just kind of end the game on turn two or, sure. or whatever. Right. Like, so, so you do have that out that the Charizard deck doesn't have because yeah, to go an aggressive radiant Charizard, you'd have to get two Charizard EX into play if you're trying to get that on turn two and that just yeah, I mean you could attach doesn't Charizard seem... attach yeah well. I guess yeah that's true that's true okay over the first two turns yeah get a couple but that's like more than half your energy I don't oh, know yeah, it just is like it's, it's ugly right it's a really ugly strategy whereas the lost box strategy is just like th what they want to do but maybe in different orders and kind of uh, you know uh, styling on it basically you know. skipping cram right like that's, yeah that's what right. your proposal is yeah exactly <laughs> Effectively, I mean, you could even like wait to cram into the the Zard as like a you know another Absolutely. way to, to build that damage into play without like building them up. Yeah, hundred percent. It's interesting. Zardy. Yeah, so Guardy, I think you know, lost. We're looking at, in my opinion, the top three is is Lost Box and Charizard and Lugia would be my guess. Um, and so then we're looking past that and Guardy. Mm -hmm is i think primed super well but guardy has guardy problems right in that it's a, a difficult deck to navigate a best of three with i i think honestly gardevoir is super well meta positioned but i i think i would struggle to justify bringing it to a tournament because i don't know if i could navigate time super effectively slash avoid potential cheating allegations <laughs> you know yeah, that's the thing is like you're watching, you know, the best player in the world pilot the deck and then also come up with, you know, cheating allegations. And you're like, I just don't want to emulate that. Like, I I would rather right. even if I won the regional, but then was getting cheating allegations, not worth. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> what? what? Say oh. it again. Say it, it depends again. if you're actually cheating. Yeah, <laughs> an allegation. Yeah, an allegation. Hey, if a judge, if a judge doesn't say anything, <laughs> then I'm not cheating, bro. <laughs> I personally don't want to be a part of that conversation. <laughs> I just, I feel like it taints everything. Nah, it's just like instead of the wood being celebrated, it's like nah. was Tricky Jim cheating. Like nah. I don't want to deal with that, man. It's not like that, Tricky dude. Jim. It's not like cheating. that. What do you mean it's not like that? It definitely is like that. It's happening nah, right now exactly nah. like that. Who cares? Who cares, man? You see it all the time. Like, people are, you know, your your biggest idols are probably scumbags, right? And yet we still go to their concerts and we still no, buy their merchandise. you're somebody who's, like, defending still... the Patriots right now, and I am someone who is not. You're like, whatever. The balls oh, are oh yes. Okay, yeah. Baltimore <laughs> Ravens fan covered up. Uh, Ray Lewis covered up, covered up, killed a dude, what? bro. No, he didn't. He's innocent, <laughs> oh bro. He killed somebody, yeah, dude. No, he did. Like the worst, the Allegedly, Patriots. The worst bro. Tom Brady did was deflate Alleg a ball. Allegedly. Okay, yeah. Well, Ray Tom, Lewis Tom is a Brady god fearing. 
a God-fearing family man and the pride of Baltimore, JW. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, naturally, I would expect no less. Oh, my God. <laughs> Let's steer. Maybe, maybe the Patriots was the wrong route to go down here. <laughs> that's that's my take but (laughs) yeah i mean i i feel you jw i think i think even regardless of sort of the cheating element of it it's really difficult to effectively navigate that for 15 rounds of pre top cut play right like even just one misstep for example in a game one can throw away your whole series yeah i mean then you're right if you lose that long game one right it's just you're walking this tightrope so if you lose that long game one then you're playing for the tie and you're probably playing for the tie with less time than you would want for a game which makes you more prone to misplays and that's not necessarily a reason not to play gardevoir like we brought gardevoir to naic and i think like andrew was saying i feel pretty comfortable gardevoir like the list is not changing right the list is not really changing you could maybe try some new things like you could maybe try Mew, but I, I don't really think that it needs Listen, it. So long um, as there's two reversal energy in there, we're good to You're go. good. Yeah, you're chilling. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's certainly one of those decks that, yeah, you're, you're playing against clock just as much as you're playing against the opponent. And, and that's tough, right? That's tough to do for 15 rounds of play, and um, I feel like if you're going in with Guardi, realistically, you're saying that I'm so confident in my deck pick that I'm going to win every game one I go into, more or less. That's what you're trying to say, at least, when you play Gardevoir. Whereas with other, you know, you're, you play Lugia, you're like, yeah, I'll lose a couple game ones, but games two and three will be so sick. <laughs> it's a little bit different of a philosophy, I think, in, in terms of how you're approaching the tournament. I think now would be a great time to thank our sponsor for the cast. Sorry to break this up, but we have an episode that's going to be a lot of the, you know, same discussion of the meta. So we just want to take a brief moment to thank our sponsor for the Tag Team Pokemon podcast, Manscaped. Manscaped offers a wide variety of products to clean up your body, to clean up the hairs on your body. Just basically any men's grooming need that you have, Manscaped has got you covered. Riley, can you tell our lovely viewers a little bit more about what they could expect from a Manscaped product? Yeah, Manscaped offers a huge array of products, whether you're looking for tools for shaving or ear and nose hair trimming, or even down just to your boxers and your shampoo and your conditioner. Manscaped's got it all. Uh, We're all huge fans of a variety of their different products. I know JW is a huge, huge fan of that ear and nose hair trimmer. He's got the long ones in there. He's got the short ones in there. Manscaped takes care of them both equally well. I'm a huge fan of the boxers and the beard hedger. And guess what, guys? You listening? If you go to manscaped.com, use code tag team at checkout, you'll get not only 20% off, but what will you get, JW? You'll get free shipping. It's that easy. There, I said it. <laughs> Many people are saying this, JW perhaps most of all. And so if you head over to manscaped.com, tag team at checkout, 20% off, free shipping. Don't pay for shipping in 2023. Get some awesome products. Take care of yourself and show up nice and hygienic and clean and comfortable at your next Pokemon tournament. Thank you so much to Manscaped for being the presenting sponsor of our podcast. So there's a couple winners, I think, uh, from Charizard ascending the ranks. Uh, and I think that is Giratina. And I think that uh, that is Chen Pao. We talked a little bit about the Lugia Archeops, sure. That also can be lumped in here. But uh, Giratina and Chen Pao 
Are these decks that are at all on your radar heading into Peoria? In my mind, Tina occupies a similar space as Lost Box in a way where, you know, they're, they kind of divvy each other up, but they're all out there. Right. And I, I don't know. I don't, I think Lost Box is generally stronger than, than Giratina. It's just a more streamlined version of the deck, but, uh, Tina's fine. I don't really respect Chen Pao that much. Yeah. I think Tina should always be respected now. It's just uh, a huge beat stick, brutal deck. Uh, it can, you know, it can ability lock, it can hand disrupt, it can uh, one hit KO anything in the game for two energy. It's uh, <laughs> it, it's just a super gnarly deck, and I think people have gotten more accustomed to it, more uh, comfortable with the list, the jet energies. People love that card. Really streamlines the process of doing the Giratina things. So uh, I think Tina should definitely be resp uh, respected. I uh, expect Tina to be a top five deck. I kind of... I, I think Tina is the more popular of the two Lost Box decks, generally speaking. Like, if you're going to a tournament and somebody flips over Lost Box, I'd, I'd say, like, usually I'd expect that player to be playing Tina rather than Turbo Lost Zone Box because Tina is a little bit easier to navigate in a 15-minute best-of-three scenario. Turbo Lost Zone Box, I feel like, is like you're a little bit more like in the sweaty realm. <laughs> like you, you got the notepad out and you're furiously scribbling <laughs> with a Turbo, with a turbo Every Lost time. Box. Every time. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, you're really, uh, you're really sweating if you have Turbo Lost Box, but like anybody can play Tina. <laughs> I feel like that's mean to both sets of players somehow. <laughs> <laughs> which is really incredible that you managed to do that so so kudos <laughs> to you man <laughs> but chen pao uh i mean that deck is just completely unplayable in my opinion completely unplayable it's got amazing gardevoir and charizard matchups i'll complain about lugia yeah all day but i would play lugia any day over Chen, over Chen Mao. <laughs> sure, but I think that those are different. You know, you could think Chen Pao is playable, but would always choose Lugia over it, right? <laughs> well, at least when you're like playing, you know, Lugia, the coin can either be heads or tails. When you're playing Chen Pao, I kid you not, playing Chen Pao, uh, I, uh, my, the dude I was testing against used Pokestop and discard, <laughs> discarded two of his Chen Pao EXs and a Baxcalibur off of Pokestop. He's uh, like, sometime... you desperately needed an item. Like... <laughs> Sometimes you make an oopsie with the Pokestop. That's fine. It happens <laughs> to the worst of us. We've all been there, man. Shinobi, what do you think of Chen Pao? You're the one who brought this. Yeah, this well, I think, I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I don't know. I think Chen Pao uh, benefits certainly from having a better matchup into Charizard. You're, um, I, I think there's a few ways that people have been building Chen Pao, and I think we should start just normalizing the four Pokestop, you know, ultra item, super fast, you know, kind of spin the roulette wheel build. Normalize Chen Pao. Normalize Chen Pao for sure. <laughs> Normalize Chen Pao. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, not a deck that I would play. I could see why people would play it. I think you're getting a better matchup in Charizard. So, you know, if you're like, oh yeah, I'm sleeving up Chen Pao. Sure. Go for it. Like, I'm not going to say that that's the, um, I think there are worse decks out there. 
you could guy choose. who's hoping he plays nine Chen Pao's. Yeah, true, <laughs> true, <laughs> very true, very true. Um, one other loser that I do want to bring up from this uh, uh, ascension of Charizard is Mew. Mew's getting obliterated by Charizard. I have not oh, found yeah, a way tough. to. I have not found a way to reliably beat Charizard now. Double Turbo Mew has a route, but it feels like you're doing all this stuff, you know, and you're like, to hope you know, you're yeah, right. You're judging, you're pathing, you're you're um, getting rid of your path so that you could draw a few more cards and set up a second. You know, you're doing all these actions and like gusting and you know trying to make it as hard on your opponent as possible, and then if they just go rare candy Charizard at any point in the game uh it, it can pretty much be over from there but completely completely obliterates the um non-dt the fusion mew so um how much are we thinking about mew for this tournament i know i personally am like of all the decks that i can disrespect i think mew for me is foremost and i'm wondering if you guys are in agreement with that or, or have different thoughts it always feels so risky to say Mew's not real. It can't hurt me at this tournament, right? It, I've been burned saying that before, but this time it's real. <laughs> this time Mew's it really has to dead. be. It has to be dead. <laughs> it loses to just Charizard. Listen, you're just not on that Mew EX Meowscarada or Mew V Max Meowscarada EX uh, wavelength yet, bro. Yeah, you just not, yes. not on the. You're not on the spice. That's See, true. That's true. Yeah, we got. I'm not we on got the spice. answers. We got answers, dude. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not on the catnip. Is there any better grass fusion type Pokemon than the uh, Excelgor? Nar. No, of course not. <laughs> yeah, why would there be? <laughs> so, yeah. So. Yeah, man, I I couldn't see myself respecting Mew. Not gonna lie, man, it is tough out there, and it's like it's not just Charizard, right? Like Mew doesn't really thrive against any of these. Like it can win for sure, and it does win a lot of the time. But you know, you're what you're taking fifty fifties, and then a zero one hundred, and that's your field. Like that doesn't feel great. <laughs> you know, that's not super comfortable. No. I wouldn't want to bring that to a tournament. Yeah, yeah say, Charizard perched at top like that. Like that, like, yeah, yeah. If Charizard's somewhere in the middle, you're like, ah, whatever. But like, <laughs> yeah, if I'm losing to Charizard, like, I better be taking like 90 tens everywhere yeah. else, you know, to make up for that lost ground. I, I just can't justify playing you. I don't think it'd be a tough sell. It'd be a tough sell for sure. I think so. So, are there any other decks on? Wait, I have a query. Card? Sure. Andrew, right. Would yes. you? At Peoria, would you opt to bring Chen Pao or Mew first? Mew. Dang, man. It's like that. <laughs> wow, I, I, that was so funny because I instantly said Chen Pao. I would say Chen Pao too. No, I'd play Mew. Yeah, I love reigniting an old flame, bro. <laughs> Just no, no Charizard's day one. You can do it. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? It's like we're talking about, oh, all these, you know, these decks are so uh, big and they're going to be so big in Peoria and the, there's a decent chance that you're just not going to hit any of them. Like the matchups that you want to hit, pretend that the matchups that you want to hit are not matchups that you're going to see in day one and then try to reformulate a plan. Because I feel like that has happened to me a lot recently where I'm like, oh, I really I can't wait to beat up on all the Lugia playing my Maridon deck and I see one. 
Can't wait. To, you know, it's the most played deck like at Worlds. At Worlds, didn't see a single you know, Lugia. Played, played five deck, actual, played one. five actual rounds. Played yeah. no Lugia. That's like no. crazy talk. You know, so it's just you have those tournaments, right? And I, I think uh, to set your expectations so high on a few decks is like very scary. And to just have a deck that's generally good into the field is, is um, you know, where I'd rather be. Why it's such these, a like, very that's why specific. I advocate just play your favorite deck, right? So that's why I play Mew. Yeah, hundred percent. I just I just go play Mew. Because a lot of times the field is so big and it is so wide and you just are going to play against random stuff, you know? So you might as well be playing a deck you like and that you know back and forth. I feel like the, the random stuff category on uh, on RK9 has gone down, though. I feel like I see less random stuff these days than I used to. Sure. It's more meta stuff. I mean, I played an Arceus Reggie Drago. Would you consider that random? That is definitely Wait. random. That was yeah, last, man. last tournament. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you yeah, you man. just wanted to say that you played it. You you knew that the answer was yes to the question. <laughs> now what about arc piles? What Hate about him. Alolan Vulpix? Hate him. V Star. I yeah. did actually play an Alolan Vulpix in a Baxcalibur deck on the ladder. I played against it. I was playing Colorless yeah. Lugia and it it actually was really good. It was it was super good. It won them the game because I wasn't able to swing through it because I had to use the basic Lugia V. And that was what's so funny because I was thinking about it. I was thinking about it. I was like, oh, man, this is going to be so easy because they, you know, they set up the Vulpix on turn one and they put the the four seal stone on it. And I'm like, this is fine. Like if they do end up getting the energy onto it, I can just two shot it with the V. But it ended up really sucking because then they just retreated into their into their chen pao and then right. blew me up and then yeah, yeah and then they won the prize <laughs> trade and that was that so takes one free turn yeah that might i mean i think there's a real possibility like for something unique so we think about these old cards like that is a great example this alolan vulpix great example of that and would it work in the same way, like in Arceus decks? I think we're all in agreement that Arceus, for the most part, is not really viable in this format. So does that mean that something like Alolan Vulpix V-Star could be played in a Chen Pao, in a Lost Box? And the reason... Maybe. reason this card's worth talking about at all, just to kind of you know rehash what it does, it has an attack when it does 140 damage, 160 damage. 140. And 140, and it prevents all damage done to it by attacks from Pokemon that have abilities during your opponent's next turn. So, if you look, just quick, quick glance at a deck like Tars RDX, you know, every <laughs> single attacker in the deck has an ability, right? Tars RDX, even the Pidgeot EX, Radiant Charizard, yeah, they all have abilities. So, and that deck, you know, kind of famously only plays maybe one Escape Rope. So. It's uh, it, the the theoretical wall strategy is there. You could wall off Gardevoir EX, right? If Gardevoir EX is not playing an escape rope, then you could wall off Gardevoir in the same way that Alex Shemansky uh, was able to win uh, the European International Championships with. So say Lukia, say Lukia, do Lukia now. See, in every other attack in the Lugia deck, especially this colorless build, yeah, they also all have abilities. The Snorlax, Dang. right? And the Man. Lugia. So it's like totally fine if you lost to Chen Pao playing a lone Volpix and you're playing Lugia. Like that's super normal and you're still a good player, even if you lost in that circumstance. 
Just to be clear. Yeah, to be clear. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't. I don't know. I don't love lock attackers in general. No. I feel like I feel like they pop up every now and then, and they're they're never like better than just playing the reliable strategy. I feel like you know. I feel like the best lock attacker we've had in the past. I don't know however long I've played the game was when flying Pikachu was good at worlds, but that wasn't really because it blocked basic Pokemon. It's because it one shot Palkia. <laughs> so until Volpix is like one shotting something, I just don't, don't really care. Bro, it. it can one shot with the V star attack, dude. Into what? You? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Basically. It is kind of sick of you. I was <laughs> for sure. I kind of have this hard line uh like view that the the best way to lock your opponent out of the game is to knock out their attackers <laughs> and you know the best way to remove energy if you're trying to you know be a control style player is to knock out their attacker actually that's the the best way to get all of their energy into the discard pile is to knock the guy out <laughs> yeah the best way for your opponent not to play the game is to take all of your prizes before they do Yes. It's really that simple. They can't play after you take the sixth one. That's the rule. Yes. I've kind of always had this philosophy. It, uh, you know, just winning is better than, like, trying to do something cute to win. Just just win fast, like, faster and easier rather than more complicated. And I, Sander, Sander Wachik out there somewhere is disagreeing wholeheartedly. <laughs> I tend to agree when it comes to like lock attackers, at least because the pro- part of the problem I have with them is they're always relatively slow paced, and if your opponent just happens to have a way to deal with it, then you're you're screwed, right? And and the problem with that is, and it's the same problem with like mobile strategies and why I don't like relying on stuff like that. You know, you play for like thirty five minutes, you've been using your lock attacker or your mobile, and all of a sudden they like bust out the way they have to still win the game, and your whole series is like instantly lost because you leaned into this gimmick instead of like actually trying to win. <laughs> so that's my beef there. I you know, granted I think Vulpix is better than Mawile in that situation because at least it advances the game state. Uh, whereas Mawile does not, other than you're the fact your opponent draws a card. Yeah, and let's take a minute to talk about the retreat lockers because I think that that was kind of like a very interesting little nuance of the metagame that popped up uh, from Brazil. What we had the uh, uh, we had the Caratiba winning list playing the Mawile, and then yep. the second place, and then actually also this sentiment was or this kind of uh, this retreat locking tech. Uh, was seen in Japan at the Yokohama Champions League with a second place list playing a block Snorlax. I think that Mawile is like a harder lock than the block Snorlax. I actually was playing the block Snorlax in the colorless Lugia build for a little while and realized like, dude, if your opponent just plays boss's orders, they can retreat. So like every deck plays that. (laughs) Like what's our aim here? (laughs) Like, I don't know, man. Just for fun. But the Mawile can certainly be... You you catch an opponent slipping. I mean, if you, you know, gust up a Radiant Greninja or a Luminion in a deck that... Or even a Manaphy in a deck that, you know, cannot actually switch that out, you might just have won the game there. But I think really 
you're looking at, at Gardevoir being one of the prime targets for that, though Charizard is also susceptible to it. Do we think that the decks will have low enough switch outs that that is worth considering as an inclusion, Mawile, namely? I don't think the majority of players will include Mawile. Well, you know, more so the reverse. Like, do you think, if you're considering playing Mawile, do you think it's worth it? Like, do you think that Gardevoir's in particular will be playing Penny? Do you think that Charizard's will play enough switch outs to get around it? Charizard already plays the Penny. It's like he had the tech for the Mawile and the Mawile. It is no <laughs> lift. <laughs> Probably because he gave the broken list to his friend. He didn't want to lose. Didn't want to lose to <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't expect, I wouldn't expect uh, uh, Gardevoir players to play Penny, or Rope, or Switch, or whatever we've seen. Gardevoir is at this breaking point right now that all great decks get to, where there are just too many good cards that go in the deck, and it just wants to play so many things, and then finding room for the Switch is like pure pain. Yeah, Gardevoir is a really interesting case study almost in how techs detract from like the consistency of a deck because it feels like every single card in the 60 for Gardevoir is somehow relevant to getting the deck up and running and consistently moving and every single time you include a a penny or some other card it takes away from that strategy you're already operating with just the the bare bones in the garden. I don't know, but that's where I that's where I really like Switch, right? Because you can get it with Mew. It can help you enable a Mew play in the late game, like if you need to get a super rod or something, which is probably the most you know common card that you want to see in that in that late game. Um, you know, I I don't mind a Switch, right? Like that's that's kind of cool. That's fun. And it of helps course, you but out. Where are you putting it? But like, you know, that, the thing you can always you can always retroactively justify the card, right? The problem is is in the moment justifying putting it in, right? So you're looking at are you playing that second fog crystal or are you playing a switch? I think fog crystal will win you more games than switch will on average over most tournaments, you know, unless it's like Mawile Fest out here or something. But you know, so and that's that's the point I'm getting at is those cards like cost Gardevoir. I feel like there are decks out there, you know, you look at arc piles that could just squeeze in the random stuff <laughs> that they want because they're operating at like a really low to the ground sort of deck. You know, Maridon in some ways is kind of similar, right? Like you can include these four paths <laughs> instead of the, the lighter weight to beach core and the deck is fine with those. Gardevoir I, I, does suffer. It, it does when you play cards like Switch and Penny because that Fog Crystal is the difference between getting the Mew out at all on turn one, right? You know, forget like enabling a Mew play. How about you get it into play? <laughs> and find the Battle VIP pass. Like it all, yeah. you know, chain reactions. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And like, or just the extra energy, right? So you can reach for that, you know, six energy plus the the reversal to KO a Charizard, you know, all those things like incrementally add up. And I think I ref- if I were playing Gardevoir, I would probably just opt to not respect the the Mawile, especially because Mawile just won. I'd say, screw it. I'm just I'm gonna play a real deck that doesn't care and and just run for it, you know. I respect that. <laughs> I think I I tend to like that deck building philosophy of that like I'll let 
I'll let other people play the Switch, right? And then, like, optimize my own deck to beat the people who then decided to play the Switch. I just like playing the better list, you know, a lot of the times, if if I can help it. I'd rather not include a card like Spear Tomb if I don't have to. Which is why, you know, we didn't play Mutech at Worlds. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It it is funny though because there are like in at last uh, at the last tournament, you know, if we're if we're going off that logic, it's like I did play a Drapion and it did help a lot. So I feel like that was worth the inclusion, right? If you're like, well, I could like how many, you know, if you have 15 rounds and there's one card that can not auto win you, but you know, obviously significantly increase your percentages in one or more rounds. Is that a worthy inclusion? And I guess, you know, talking about most decks, I think there's a factor there where you're thinking about how much it takes to set up versus, you know, how much space you have, right? And there, there's a lot of things to consider, whether you're a setup deck or you're a little bit, you know, low, more low maintenance. But I, I think I'm getting to be a little bit more like swingy where I'm like, yeah, I'll play the one of Halucha with no way to search it out kind of thing. Like, I'm cool with the Drapion. Like, that seems fine. You know, I'm, I'm just a little bit more interested in those those one of techs. I, I think... think I'd be more inclined to play the Mawile than I would be to play the Switch. The Switch, the Mawile, I feel like is like you're you're actively like winning games with that. The Switch, I'm like it's a defensive play against a boogeyman that might not even show up. But like the Mawile, like you go go win games with that, you know. Yeah, I I think you I my judgment call is usually as a measurement of match points awarded. I would say, and I'm looking for. Usually I want at least four match points from a tech, I would say, to include it over just playing a, a better list. You know, it gets me a tie where I would have lost, and it gets me a win where I would have lost. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. I, I think that's reasonable. I don't know. Are there any of those one-up techs that you would include? So, like, like just in general, like we said, maybe no Mawile, maybe no counters to a Mawile. Um you know, Drapion, we've already said kind of we're disrespecting Muse, so Drapion Spear Tomb would be other cards that come to mind. Um, Drapion and Colorless Lugia is really cool, though, for knocking out Gardevoir EX. So sure, like that, sure. Like it kind of fills place. a dual yeah. purpose, yeah. right? It's yeah. almost like exiting being attacked, and it's just kind of also an attacker. <laughs> that can attacker also sometimes attack for free. Energy. <laughs> right. It takes yeah. Colorless Energy. That can, It can sometimes attack for free, but it one-hit KOs Gardevoir EX, which is nice. kind of sick. Yeah, exactly. But are there any of these other like one of attackers or one of techs that you would consider? I'm I'm struggling to like come up with any more um, off the top of my head. But there's you know, like you any ideas? Galarian Zapdos, sure, sure. Can sometimes That's be a good played. Uh, you know, maybe to, a grass really attacker. We were kind of talking right about on, earlier. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You could play a grass attacker in your lost box deck uh, to try and take out Charizards. Yeah, weaknesses are big. Now that Pokemon are, are really hard to knock out, really big, you know, preying on weaknesses is, is the name of the game for sure. I mean, I think, you know, Shaman V is a good example of, I think, a tech that'll probably be out there. You know, it'll be in the Arceus decks and it'll be in the Lost Box decks. And I think that's probably the 
one of the more frequent techs that we'll see on the on the weekend just to yeah. try and deal with the Charizard swarm. You only need the like two grass in the deck or one even, but probably Yeah, two. a lot of a lot of these decks that play Shaman are you know one. even playing the Raihan to enable it even more and yeah. make it more consistent. Um, and it's also worth noting that like, in Lost Box decks, it never really hurts that much to have an alternate energy type because it makes your Mirage Gates more alive. You know, it, it always sucks when you're playing Lost Box and you only have two waters in deck, so you have to just grab one. That feels so sad. Because you're so often just, like, slapping an energy onto Comfy to retreat it or yeah. putting an off-color energy on Radiant Greninja or an off-color energy on Raikou. Whatever. Yeah. You just need it to be different <laughs> than the exactly. one. And which exactly. is why you saw even the Lost Tina decks for a little while were playing even just one water energy just to, like... Maybe, you know, tease your opponent into thinking you could attack with Radiant Greninja when you actually couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a good bit, I think. Yeah, yeah, I, I love a committed. little bait. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's so funny. Are there any other decks? Because I feel like um, we have like a really solid list of about 10 decks that we all pretty much know inside and out. Uh, you know, we know what to expect from lists. We know what... To expect from the matchups into each of these decks. Um, but outside of that, like, are there any other decks outside of that, maybe top 510, that you think have the opportunity to make a run? Um, and do you think, you know, kind of beyond that, are there any maybe rogue strategies that could do well? Like, do you think there's a stall deck out there? Um, do you think there's a Gudra deck out there? Do you think that there's anything weird that players could see? Um, have you seen anything on the ladder, Andrew? Venomoth, perhaps, comes to mind. Venomoth is cool, but it's not like... Uh, it's a tournament-winning yeah. deck, you said? No, it's it's not. I, I feel like I remember you quote saying that. You could win so, a challenge with it, maybe. Well, tournament-winning, there you go. <laughs> that is tournament-winning. Yeah. All the same. You don't do enough damage. It's <laughs> the problem. And your opponent can just win games if they flip out of confusion. I don't know that there's anything. I don't feel like there's any real surprises right now. But if there are, then they will surely be surprising. <laughs> just like, I guess. <laughs> so, we'll so point, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anything for you, Riley? I can't really think of anything um I, I think there's a lot of of decent meta slash slightly off meta decks and i think realistically that's going to occupy 90 percent of the field are are those mm -hmm. players so i kind of would echo what andrew says play what you're comfortable with and what feels good going into the tournament i wouldn't personally recommend mew if that's what you're comfortable with but you know pretty much anything else is probably fine if it's in the sphere of what we've talked about today, even Chen Pao. Even Chen Pao. Let's get some love for the Chen Pao. Maybe Chen Pao most of all. Even. Chen Pao, God. Um, okay, well then, I think this is like the penultimate question, or, the, or maybe the ultimate question, who knows. What would you play? If you're going to Peoria, what are you playing? Riley, you're not going, so just all of our dear viewers, take that with a grain of salt. Riley could say anything. You could even say Chen Pao. But what would you play? Wigglytuff. No, not Wigglytuff. Um, <laughs> but that would this be is so like your, This is like your moment to like tweet out 
the deck list that you would play, but you're not going. But if you were playing, this is the list and you would play. This is what I would play, so and, you gotta play. You just, you just want everybody to know that you were on it, just in case it wins, yep. that you get some amount of that credit or clout. But then, if that deck ends up not doing well, you have none of the responsibility for it. Yeah, I mean, I have yet to really be presented a case for why you wouldn't just play Colorless Lugia, I think. I, I would still need convincing to not play Colorless Lugia. I think it's so strong and it has such a good matchup spread and like you just take those l's with the coin flips and call it a day uh, granted again i'm not going to fiora so like it's a little more comfortable for me to like commit to those coin flips and things like that but you know i almost feel like like lugia sees success and you see top players like doing well with lugia in spite of the coin flips so it's almost to me it's almost just like the coin flips just feel really bad when when you lose by them but i would almost go back to what something like michael katron said a while ago where it's like about the opening coin flip but i would apply it to lugia at large or it's like you know who cares you know it's just a it's a part of the game and uh, like who cares if you lose uh, because he dead drew or if you lose because you flipped a coin bad <laughs> you know because just just give it your all and i think the matchups are just so insane seeking that was it. I mean, you can't beat Lost Box, but maybe we don't care. Dude, you you spent a lot of time talking about you don't care about Maridon, bro, playing Colorless Lugia. What if I don't care about Lost Box? I'm playing Seeking. Seeking is uh, the best. I think when you factor in that Lost Box has kind of two different sub-archetypes feeding into its percentage, you see a lot of comfies <laughs> quite frequently. <laughs> when but if I, if I had the whole tournament where I, if you could guarantee me, I wouldn't see a Sableye or a Cramorant. Seeking. So true. That deck slaps. <laughs> <laughs> that goes crazy. I, I, I don't know even what Seeking does. So <laughs> you don't know the Swim Freely deck, dude. Oh yes, Swim Freely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. it got it, 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 this was a big deal because before we didn't have any good see, Swim Freely attackers. That's right. Yeah, and now yeah. we have an unlimited damage swim freely. I attacker. see. I see. Yes. And the Sea King is basic is baby Gardevoir. That's cool. With no and damage. And you can accelerate to it with a basic. Right? Yeah, you don't yeah, take any damage. Nuts. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And you have superior yeah. energy retrieval and you've got that goofy letter, which if your opponent if your Pokemon got knocked out, you search for three energy, which is so nuts. Oh, that's really good. Because <laughs> you like Irida for it and you're like, all right, Irida, superior letter thing. There's Wait. eight. <laughs> this sounds like a better Gardevoir. What, what makes what makes Gardevoir better than this? <laughs> That's so good. Just I would, I'm, just, I'm just asking the questions, bro. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. I would say for me, it had to be Maradon. I'd have to decide on Path versus No Path, but I think it's probably Path. Like I really don't want to play Path, right? I had a really, and, and I know our our testing group has kind of been divided on this, where Riley and Andrew, when they've played Maradon, they have consistently played Path. I played Path at Worlds, did not go the greatest. And that's not necessarily because of Path, um, but certainly... There's a player diff, mostly. The paths didn't help. The paths didn't help. The the paths actually probably would have helped against Ting Lu. Um, Ironically enough, they probably would, you know, if I could have played those games. Um, But yeah, I'd, I'd have to kind of really dig down deep and see, okay, is Path relevant enough 
in this format. I think generally it is, but it's like, again, if I can not play path, I would rather not play the paths and rather not mock up the deck in that way. Um, I so think that's, path is that's so kind of... broken. I just love that card. I mean, when you're looking for every opportunity to not play it, I'm looking for every opportunity to chuck for that card in my deck because <laughs> just this stuff power like... play, just slamming it down and then watching watching like the life just drain out of your opponent's face. I think it's good. I just don't think <laughs> With it's one card. <laughs> I think it's good. I don't think it's an incredible like unbelievable play i think it does increase the win percentage of the deck in certain matchups but i think at the same time it decreases it in other matchups because there are times where like with the non-path version you're getting that turn one attack i would say 75 percent of the time like that seems pretty reasonable to go two energy on a raikou get that first turn attack that's a made with up the- statistic okay let's run <laughs> let's run 100 games right now i'm just saying you're making up stats well, okay, and I I would say with the with the path version, you're getting it significantly less. I think we could say that that with certainty that you're getting the turn one attack less significant. With path. You're using what what's significant? There's this is not mathematic at all, bro. You're just you're just making stuff. The up. mathematical calculations uh, say that I source I made it up, dude. Source I made it up. Hey, no, I would. He's spitting like there are facts sprinkled within the the made up jargon and junk. But (laughs) to be fair, like you do get more turn one attacks for sure without pass. How many more? One more? I don't know, but you do get more. Two more? One more? Two more? That's not worth it. (laughs) I don't know. It needs to be statistically significant. All right, so then we got to break it down. Andrew, I challenge you to define in a sentence what statistical significance means. I knew <laughs> what it meant in 11th grade for sure. Uh, however, I do know that it could just be variance. If it's within if it's within this, it could just be variance, so it doesn't count. But if it's outside of statistically significant, then that means that the data actually kind of is, is saying something here. It's not just RNG. <laughs> is that like is it, more or less what it is more or less yeah there we go all right like, listen it's been a long time i've been out of school for a long time now <laughs> i was hoping you could like get the some more detail but yeah you, you got the the broad, strokes, with broad there. strokes here all right yeah. i have an art degree yeah lay off <laughs> right right <laughs> yeah can't let us forget that <laughs> never <laughs> Okay, so Riley on, on the Lug, JW on the Don, and Andrew on the King. <laughs> Final answer. Okay. <laughs> so if you don't roll up with the King, we are allowed to call you a meta manipulator. Then. Man. <laughs> yeah, now's I your chance, all bro. My, I lost now's all my goldings, bro. <laughs> I left my goldies at oh. home. My goldies at home. None of the vendors had any. <laughs> That's always an out. That's always an out. Yeah. <laughs> cool. I think then, with the the Sea King debate settled, uh, I think we can take it home. Then, JW, where can our lovely viewers find us if they want to know more? They can find us over on. The application formerly known as Twitter, now called x.com, at 
Real John Walter for myself, at Smiles with Riles for Riley Holbert, and at Enjoy Friend for Andrew. You can also find the podcast at Tag Team Pokemon. Love it. Thank you all so much for listening. We appreciate your continued support, and we will catch you next time. Peace. See ya. See ya.